Isn't it strange how God chooses the most unlikely of people to reveal some of His greatest truths to? Join us today as Pastor Rander unfolds the Christmas story in this message titled, The Shepherds That Found Christmas. He'll be speaking from Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 20. Now let's listen in. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 is our text and uh, and from this passage we're going to be preaching the shepherds who found Christmas the shepherds who found Christmas Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 20 my friends Christmas is a time of year where people uh, find many things They find the right gift for family and friends who will soon forget the gift that they gave. They find the hot spots in town for that party, the clubs and the social events. They go looking for great sales, good food, looking for entertainment and sports and football and basketball and all those kinds of things. And then many others, they look for programs, Christmas programs offered in schools and uh, particularly Christian schools, because you're not going to find really Christmas programs today in public schools. Christmas programs offered in uh, schools and churches and communities and the perfect Christmas tree for the home. And they also seek out that great getaway place for the holidays, which is really holy days, because the advent of the of the coming of the Messiah, these days are considered holy days. To sum it up, after keeping the holiday tradition, so many end up empty, depressed, financially broke, no joy, because they miss the essence and true meaning of Christmas. Beloved, it is possible to find all the things you enjoy in this world And then miss Christmas. In this particular passage, we will see a band of shepherds who found Christmas while many others missed it. Look at the passage closely and I'm going to give you a passage breakdown. Passage breakdown. Verse eight is the watching shepherds. Verse nine is a divine intervention. Verses 10 through 12 is the angelic message. Verses 13 through 14 is the angelic praise. And verses 15 through 20 is the shepherd's response. I know you're writing, so I'll repeat that so that you can get it. Uh, Verse 8 is the watching shepherds. Verse 9 is a divine intervention. Verses 10 through 12, the angelic message Verses 13 through 14, the angelic praise. And verses 15 through 20, the shepherd's response. Let's look at verse 8, the watching shepherds. Verse 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds were among the lowest and most despised social groups. The very nature of their work kept them from entering into the mainstream of Israel society. The shepherds couldn't maintain a ceremonial worship and all the religious festivals and feasts that the law required. 
The shepherds cared for sheep that would someday be sacrificed in the temple. As the shepherds moved about the country, it was common for them to be regarded as thieves. They were considered unreliable. They were not allowed to even give evidence in the courts of law. And yet out of the whole of Jerusalem society, God chose shepherds to hear the news of Jesus's birth. After Christ was born, they were the first to hear the good news of the newborn king. That's just like Jesus. That's just like God to come to the unlikeliest of person to share the good news. Now, God often uses those who are considered the least to do the most. These shepherds were considered the least in their day, but God used them to do the most. And the scripture is replete in how God uses the least to do the most. For example, in the account of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, you see how God used Gideon who considers himself to be the least to do the most. Because in Judges chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. God using the least to do the most. God used here in this account Gideon who considered himself to be the weakest and the least to do the most for almighty God. So I want to tell you today, if you're weak, God can use you. Matter of fact, God can use the weak to confound those who think that they are strong. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, we see again God using the least to do the most. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, just jot it down. You can read it in your quiet time. It is the account of Jesse's son who come before Samuel to see who would be anointed the next king of Israel. And the anointing oil fell upon David in the midst of his brothers to leave no doubt as to who would be the next king. David was the youngest. He was a shepherd boy. And yet God chose him to be the next king of Israel. In Amos chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, we see here again, God using the least to do the most. For in Amos chapter 7, verses 14 through 15, Amos considered himself the least by saying he was no prophet nor son of a prophet, but a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. And yet the Lord sends Amos to prophesy to Israel. Yes, God uses the least to do the most. And then in this account where we are today, beloved, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, God chooses Mary, a young virgin peasant girl, to be the bearer of the Son of God. 
God often uses those who are considered the least to do the most. And you, like the shepherds, may be lonely. You, like the shepherds, may be overlooked. You, like the shepherds, may oftentimes feel unappreciated. You, like the shepherds, may be unknown. You, like the shepherds, may be forgotten. You, like the shepherds, may be considered uh, an outcast or rejected. But I want to tell you today that God loves you. God has a special plan for you. He has a special plan for your life. And he desires to use you right now if you would make yourself available to him. You have worth and you have value. And don't let the world dupe you into thinking that you are no good. And then in this account also, God uses active people. He uses active people for the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. The shepherds weren't idle or lazy for they were committed to the task of shepherding. Greater privileges are given to those who are willing to do the unwanted, unpopular task. For example, many don't like emptying the trash, but if it's overflowing, find a way to empty it. Many don't like cleaning restrooms, weeding flower beds. Uh, Oh, we have to search for people who will tend the needs of babies in the nursery because everybody wants to be in the sanctuary to not miss what is going on. But somebody's tending the needs of the little ones. How blessed are they? What about visiting the homeless tomorrow? The visitations will be going out to the nursing home with the various ministers of the church. Are you so busy that you can't park and, and, and park your itinerary and go and visit those who need to be seen in the nursing home on tomorrow. What about the jail? And as a matter of fact, the Lord says, when you have done, done these things to the least of these, you've done it also to me. You see, a task that was considered lowly by society was special to the shepherds. And God honored them by giving them the privilege to see Christmas. God in human flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. God took the lowliest of the low and said, you who are outcast, you who are considered rejected, I'm going to let you see the first Christmas. Everybody is special. Verse 9 is a divine intervention. It says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. As the shepherds watched over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord stood before them as the glory of the Lord lit up the field, seeing the dazzling beauty of the angel and the invasion of God's glory that shone all around. The shepherds were terrified by what they saw and we would have been too. Can't you see them in the night? All is quiet. Perhaps the the sheep are sleeping and perhaps the shepherds were probably, I'm just sitting the scene, talking to one another, conversing to one another and all of a sudden, Here's this angel standing right before them. And they were terrified. 
And all that glory and all the radiance of the beauty lit up the midnight sky. Let me tell you something. God knows where we are. God didn't have to scratch his head and say, I wonder where those shepherds are. I wonder where, I wonder what is their zip code. Maybe I have to put them in a GPS to find them. Not so. God knew where those shepherds were and he knows your location as well. Let me tell you something. When God wants you, he knows how to find you. Huh? You, you can't hide from God. He, go, he knows where you are. And the, the second thing I'd like to say about this is that God knows how to get your attention before he speaks. That's right. He knows how. Listen, whenever God speaks, he, he seizes your attention. And he has done that consistently throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. For in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, we see how God got Moses' attention. For it says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Why, that's getting his attention. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and the bush was not consumed. That got his attention. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. He got Moses' attention. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, see, got his attention. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Yes, God knows how to get your attention before he speaks. And then Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, we see how God uh, got uh, Saul's attention. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, the scripture says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, 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 who are you, Lord? Oh, who are you? He, he said, Lord, you, God could have said, you know who I am. You just call my name. Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. See, God interrupted Saul's agenda. Knocked him off that beast, blinded him with blazing glory to the point that Saul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? God got his attention. God invaded his life. That's right. And God transformed Saul. And Saul was just as relentless for the kingdom 
as he was when he was against the kingdom and the church of the living God. It lets me know, my friends, let me park right there. If God can save a soul, this was a mean villain, persecuting saints, throwing them in jail, killing them, doing all kinds of a notorious reputation. Let me tell you something. If God can do that for soul, nobody's too hard for God. You got people in your life still unsaved. Keep on praying. You may not see that salvation. They may come to Christ long after you with the Lord. But you keep on hoping. You keep on believing. And you keep on praying. And some of you out there, remember how messed up you were? I remember how messed up I was. And some, and some of y'all did some, some terrible things. I know I did. Huh? You, you, you got, all of you got skeletons in your closet. And, and it is great. Your, listen, your sins is just as ugly as Saul's. That's right. You may not have thrown nobody in jail, but you thrown them in jail in your mind. That's right. That's right. And God had to get a hold of you and me and transform us by the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He had to calm them down. Y'all, if this happened at midnight at your house while you drinking some tea, God would have to calm you down too. You got to understand that this was totally unexpected. Let me say, God knows how to show up when you're not expecting him. That's why we have to always live in a state of readiness and do and be found faithful. You don't know when God is going to snatch his people from time to eternity. We need to live in a state of readiness. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He had to calm them down lest they had a heart attack. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. Yes, God knows how to get our attention before he speaks. God often gets our attention even now, today. He gets our attention through sickness. Sometimes it's in the midst of surgery. Sometimes you, you get so far from God and you get so honorary and so complacent and so apathetic. So God has to invade your life with the loss of a family member. Sometimes he has to take that job that you think you can't leave. Sometimes he uses the death of a loved one. Sometimes he uses imprisonment. Sometimes God permits financial calamity to intrude your family. God will not speak until he gets your attention. Has he ever gotten your attention? And when he got your attention, you knew who was who, who had seized your attention? What's needed in the church today is for saints to experience God, as did the shepherds on that awesome night. For they were overwhelmed with the presence and glory of God and would never be the same again. Those shepherds would never be the same again. Beloved, until you have experienced 
a supernatural divine intervention of being born again. It is impossible to have victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over the flesh and victory in this world until you have had a personal divine intervention with God inhabiting your soul. What is salvation? Salvation is the life of God living in the soul of man. Do you have the life of God resident in your soul? Do you know that you know, you know, that you know, you know that you have been born again? Only after you have been born again can you have victory over sin, Satan, flesh, and the world. In John 3, 3. The gospel of John chapter three, verse three, Jesus said to Nicodemus and he said to him, most assuredly, I say, say to you, unless one is born again, say born again, say a little bit louder, say a little bit louder. When is the last time you even used the word born again? When is the last time you've asked somebody, have you been born again? Jesus tells Nicodemus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't get born again through psychology. You can't get born again through opinions. Uh -uh, uh -uh. You can't get born again through politics. You can't get born again through good works and being a good moral person. The only way you can get born again, you've got to see yourself as a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And in light of that, you cry out for the mercy of God and ask him to save you by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cry out for his mercy. Cry out for salvation. Believing in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Only then can you have a born again experience. Be it known to you today, nobody can save you but God. And verses 10 through 12 is the angelic message. Verse 10 says, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Lying in a manger. The angel comforts the shepherd with good news by announcing the birth of a savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, how we need some good news in the midst of a world that is filled with bad news. Just bad news. Bad. You look to the east, it's bad news. To the left, it's bad news. Some of you look back and reflect over your life. Nothing but bad news. You turn on the television, bad news. Look on the internet, bad news. Open a magazine, bad news. But I, I know some good news. And that good news is that Jesus was born to you, for you, to the glory of almighty God. And the shepherd's sign would be that they would find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. You see, my friends, babies were in that day snugly wrapped in long strips of cloth, giving them warmth, protection and security in their newborn existence. The combination of a newborn's wrapping and the use of the manger 
which is an animal's feeding trough for a crib would be a distinctive sign. When God shows up, it's a relief to know it's good news because sometimes God shows up is bad news. When God comes with that sword or when he, when he, when he comes to do vengeance, it could be bad news. Thank God this time it was good news. You see, when God shows up, it's a relief when it's good news in scripture. The sequence is usually this. You usually have the appearance of some angel of God showing up. And then once you have the appearance like the shepherd, they saw the appearance and they after they had the appearance. What happened? <gasps> they were afraid. It was fear. And they were so terrified. The angel had to speak next. What was it? Comfort. So you had the appearance. Then you had them being afraid. And they were so afraid that God had to what? Comfort. And then once God comforted, comforted them, then they received the message from God. Look at that. Isn't that a marvelous sequence? In verses 13 through 14, you have the angelic praise. And suddenly there were there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angel who spoke is now joined by a multitude of angels. In other words, the sky lit up with angels, angels everywhere. I, what a sight. You just look up and just angels and angels. You got one angel and then all of a sudden he's joined in with multitudes of angels. Ooh, I mean, I would have grown some hair. Oh, wow. Y'all look at that. That. Man, no fireworks can compete with that. Nothing can compete with that. Heaven, heaven looked, heaven was so lit up that they really needed some shades to see the midnight sky. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us today. Pastor Rander's message poses a compelling question that transcends typical New Year's resolutions. So often we fail at carrying out the resolutions we make because God is not our priority in them. If God, the maker and master of the universe, is not our priority, then our resolutions are made in vain. God is the author and finisher of our faith. Will we do what we've always done? Or will we commit ourselves to consistently seek God, hear God, trust God, and obey God? The Bible instructs us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. Will we do it? If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church, located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas, or call us at 210-821-5683.